Nick Hudson, the founder and chairman of Panda, an actuary in his part-time, it seems, Nick, uh, given all the work that you're doing on COVID-19. I've been working very hard at, uh, on the investment side the last couple of months. We've had a couple of transactions on the run, so I've actually um, been uh, yeah, really stretched between the two organizations. <laughs> and the, the whole story at Panda is really interesting now, particularly after yesterday when Boris Johnson dispensed with masks, which is something that you've been agitating for pretty much from the outset of COVID-19, and uh, is putting the UK back in many ways to a more normalized footing. Now, there are the, the cynics who say he's only doing this because he's in big trouble and he's about to be ejected as prime minister, so he needs to do something to bring back the support of the population. How are you reading it? Yeah, I think there is accumulating a political pressure. It's been rather strange for me that the the bone of contention has turned out to be the parties that he was hosting at 10 Downing Street, which showed that obviously people in government weren't very scared of COVID at the same time that they were using behavioral science teams to convince the population that they should be terrified. Um, And that has been the sort of lightning rod. But I would have preferred it if it had been the judgment of the, the UK electorate that the entire response had been bananas and that that was the reason why he was under pressure. It does appear to be rather oriented around these shindigs at Christmas of 2020. And, of course, bringing it back to South Africa, Omicron, uh, or the variant that I'm sure you've got views on, uh, has been, uh, well, was discovered here and uh, has been, appears to be endemic here in South Africa. Lots of information on that to show that it is highly infectious but not deadly or very uh, very much less deadly. And the UK, uh, although it was behind us in that curve, seems to be ahead of us now in reacting to it. Yeah, and then the other relevant thing about it is it seems that the vaccines are very ineffective against it, which has uh, now been, um, I think, fairly, fairly reliably demonstrated. So it changes the game in more ways than one. And... Um, puts us onto a trajectory where I think the situation that South Africa has where you know, something like 80% of the population has already recovered from COVID and is therefore robustly immune, um, that situation will pertain quite quickly in other countries all around the world that are perhaps had lower uh, seropositivity. Bring us up to date on what's going on around the world uh, with the spread of Omicron. And is this really, as some are saying, the end of the pandemic? I I can't see how it wouldn't be, um, at at least as far as the actual virus is concerned. Of course, the pandemic ending is a political event. And so that requires countries around the world to abandon their various uh, projects, saying, you know, that that now have no basis for uh, continuing with their various restrictions and mandates and draconian interventions. So the end of the pandemic is political. We must not be confused about that. But from an epidemiological point of view, yes, our our view is that Omicron is um, a kind of welcome phenomenon and not the not the bogeyman that it was painted as in December of last year. Why is it welcome? Why is it welcome that the pandemic is over? 
No, that why is Omicron welcome? Well, it seems that Omicron has a bunch of um, mutations or differences, we should call them, because we're not too clear on how they got there. But it has a bunch of differences between uh, differences from the other variants like Delta that are all concentrated on the spike protein, which is the business end of the the virus, this this toxic little monster that uh, causes all the trouble, both in both in uh, COVID and in the vaccines. Um, and Omicron lacks some of the features that uh, appear to make it make COVID uh, bind particularly well with uh, ACE two receptors in the lungs, and um, so it's become more of an upper respiratory tract infection. And um, there, yeah, there are a couple of I don't want to go too too deep into the technicalities of furin cleavage science uh, sites and whatnot. But it seems to be behaving in a, a clinically somewhat distinct way that doesn't present real risk to anybody. I mean, the, the mortality rates are very low. So the irony of all of this is having argued about whether it was reasonable to compare COVID to a bad flu. Now the argument to, is, is really, is COVID as bad as a cold? Because it's um, still got that sort of age-graduated story going on, but but it's now producing very mild symptoms um, and uh, uh, infection fatality rate that is now not meaningful. It's too low to, to really speak about. Brian Pottinger, who's a former colleague of mine, uh, a, a well-respected journalist, he was the editor of the Sunday Times and the publisher of the Sunday Times, and uh, since he retired, he's been writing books. And he brought a book out in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, where he drew on history, uh, in particular the Spanish flu. And he said that the Spanish flu didn't disappear because of vaccines. The Spanish flu disappeared because the virus mutates to a level to where it is not dangerous anymore. Is this a similar, uh, he suggests that it's a similar thing that we're seeing now with COVID-19. From the panda perspective, and you do draw on hundreds of people around the world, is it being interpreted the same way? You know, from the very beginning, when the vaccines were held out as having the capacity to end the pandemic, we were skeptical. We said there isn't a mechanism of action to produce what's known as sterilizing immunity, which would cause the recipient of the vaccine to uh, be able to stave off infection and to not become a transmitter. We said that mechanistically this was not possible and that, and we complained because the way it was being presented by Fauci, Walensky, uh, Bula, who's the CEO of uh, Pfizer, they were all making grand claims about the pandemic ending potential of the of the vaccines. And they were making claims that, they, that it would stop transmission. Um, and they were doing so even though there was absolutely no sign of that being the case in the manufacturer's trials. So we objected strenuous, strenuously to that um, kind of approach. And the way that played out was that you had public health officials all over the world making claims that we need to get 70 or 80% vaccinated in order to end the pandemic. That's how it played out. They bought that message and continued proselytizing it. And we, we, we said, no, th these vaccines won't make a, a dent in uh, herd immunity. They won't contribute towards herd immunity because of that, they don't have this sterilizing, Im sterilizing immunity effect that natural infection, infection does have. And so you will have to wait until the whole population has been more or less, you know, the majority of the population has been infected and recovered before you get to that point of, of herd immunity. The only route to herd immunity is through natural infection. And so we, we, when we were making that point, it was, it was a censorship worthy 
point to make. But about four months later, of course, Fauci, Walensky, and Bula have all acknowledged that uh, the, the, that there's a very small effect, if any, on transmission reduction and that uh, there is no mechanism. Well, they haven't actually acknowledged that there isn't a mechanism of action, but they've acknowledged that there's no evidence of infection reduction. In fact, in the case of Omicron, there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, infection is more likely among vaccinated people than unvaccinated people. And that goes back to that earlier point I was making about how the mutations are concentrated on the spike protein. And, you know, the vaccines are concentrated on the spike protein. They only provide immunity to that 6 or 7% of the virus, whereas natural immunity targets the entire structure. Um, and so it's quite logical that if, they've, if you've got a whole lot of mutations concentrated on the spike protein, that that would uh, do more to evade vaccine-induced immunity than natural immunity. You talk to lots of people around the world, and I'm talking about being interviewed by many. Uh, what is the feedback that you're getting about the official message now that the evidence seems to be showing something quite different to what was anticipated? It's fascinating because it, it really does feel that the elements of the narrative are crumbling very rapidly. And it, it's, uh, it's, I wrote that article for you guys at the, at the end of the year, just on one week's calamitous events um, or, or remarkable events. And I feel like I, I, f- I felt since then that I could have written such an article every week. I just wanted to have a holiday, which I did. Um, but I've got another one coming up because there, there's all sorts of stuff that goes unreported in the mainstream media. I, I, I mean, the, the most prolific one for me was this astonishing letter with evidentiary material that was released by the activist group Project Veritas. And this is a letter from uh, a, a research fellow at DARPA by the name of Major Joseph Murphy. Now, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency in America. Quite a spooky bunch of people who run around trying to think up uh, strategies about bioweapons in particular and others, you know, all sorts of mind control type things and and very spooky stuff that uh, goes on inside these uh, global military powers. But he, so he was a fellow at DARPA and what his letter revealed is that Peter Dajak of EcoHealth Alliance had approached DARPA for funding of a project to stick a humanized spike protein onto a bat coronavirus scaffolding Um, and to use this in some very convoluted uh, logic as a way to immunize bats against coronaviruses to prevent them from leaking into humans. I mean, the logic is tortured. I can't actually quite follow it, even having read it several times. It doesn't make sense to me. And apparently it didn't make sense to DARPA. They said, are you crazy? That's a very dangerous thing to do. Getting stuck, sticking a humanized spike protein onto a bat thing could be the cause of a release into a community. This could trigger a, a forget your vaccine. This could cause this could cause an epidemic. And so they declined to fund the project, but then Fauci funded it through EcoHealth Alliance, working with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And this is incredible news, but it's almost unreported. Um, you know, because it, it puts the smoking gun straight in the hands of Fauci um, for the genesis of the entire pandemic. And especially in light of the fact that even DARPA, which does some of the most dangerous research on the planet, found the project too dangerous. It's quite remarkable. Um, so I expect that there will be, during the course of this year, many ramifications emanating from that major release um, 
And it's put me into the point where, you know, I try to pre- preserve a kind of uh, skepticism on the question of uh, lab leak versus natural evolution. And um, I, I'm now in the camp where I think it's there's too much pointing towards the, the whole lab leak hypothesis to to actually assume anything else at this stage. I've been reading uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book called The Real Anthony Fauci, and uh, it's, it's very eye-opening for someone who's been on the periphery. Uh, I know you've been right in the middle of all of this, but uh, reporters, we know an inch, uh, we're, we're an inch deep and a mile wide. That's what we are. Um, and to, to get the insights from Robert Kennedy Jr., who's the nephew of JFK and, of course, the, the son of the other assassinated Kennedy, uh, Bobby Kennedy, he, he lists uh, names of those very prestigious people who support uh, challenging the, the narrative. And, of course, he goes into some detail about uh, Fauci's background, his motivations, the way that the, uh, the institutions have been affected, etc. Now, you do know where he comes from, being a, a very strong Democrat, uh, as against um, the, the Democrats nowadays who seem to be, the political party seem to be rather a rather different approach. But when you read through his book, and uh, I'm not sure if you've had the opportunity to do that yet, but does that align a lot with what Panda believes and, and indeed what your research has shown? Yes, I've, 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 I had an early read of that book even before it was, um, well, several chapters of it, even before it was released, so I'm very familiar with its contents. And um, I have not found anything to fault in it. Um, the, the, the really disturbing chapter for me is Chapter 12, where it details the history of these wargaming exercises where, um, you know, these various militarized type policy responses that completely contradicted all the standing guidelines of the World Health Organization and the CDC and others were uh, practiced. And, um, you know, it impl- plans down to the detail of how are we going to suppress dissent? What are we going to do to smear and target people who uh, object to these um, militarized lockdown type scenarios being rolled out. You know, so it's really quite spooky stuff that went on. And uh, not just we're not just talking about the famous event 201 in uh, September of uh, 2019, October of 2019. Um, might have my month wrong there. But uh, other, other planning sessions that had been conducted in decades, for decades prior to, to this one. And I, I find that that chapter really disturbing because it talks to a whole community of people who had scant regard for um, traditional public health and for the the kind of time-honored principles of of public health and pandemic response. They were, they were, there's a real arrogance going on there where they just assume that they're going to be able to tear those documents up and, and roll out a completely different uh, set of policy responses and that they have enough people on their side, enough money, enough support in order to, 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 to make that come to pass, to enforce it on the world, as it were. And they were right. They did. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a really creep, creepy bunch. And I think that's also going to be a big story this year will be the, the, the sort of ju- the investigative journalism that will take place around stories like uh, um, Joseph Murphy's letter that I just uh, described and these, these events and how those events were uh, rolled into 
this extraordinary level of lockstep implementation of global policy, regardless of what evidence was coming up against it, and regardless of how many people spoke out, it just carried on this this, uh, battle tank, carried on rolling forward across the planet. Because we've got to remember that, you know, lockdowns were recommended against by the World Health Organization in its updated guidelines of 2019. And basic epidemiology says that lockdowns will worsen the situation when you have an age-graduated mortality. And they did. That was what the data that we started pointing to in May of 2020 was that lockdowns were not helping. They were looking like they might even be pro-contagion. And to this day, here we sit two years later, and there's still countries that are locking down, right, in the face of Omicron, this mild thing. So it's an astonishing book. I recommend to everybody to read that book. It's extremely well researched, very well referenced. Um, and, you know, what I ask people to do is to, to put aside the kind of smear articles that you may have seen written about uh, Bobby, uh, Bobby Kennedy, about Bobby Kennedy, because he, in the same way that the scientists who, who wrote the Great Barrington direct, uh, Declaration were targeted by Collins and Fauci for a smear campaign, you know, Kennedy has been, a, 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 been tar- the, the target of many. And a lot of the claims are, that are made in particular about his uh, anti-vax stances and so on are actually exaggerated claims. He had a concern with vaccine safety. And so people hear, oh, I'm not reading his, his book. He's an anti-vaxxer. He's crazy. Even his own family don't like him. You, you hear that kind of story. Well, yeah, when you open a Wikipedia page, that is kind of the, the orthodox narrative around him. But that's built up by pharmaceutical PR agencies and smear campaigns in the same way that, you know, Senator Gupta and Bhattacharya and Kuldorf were smeared uh, when they signed the Great Barrington Declaration. So I really do urge people to, to read it. It's an astonishing book. It covers a, a, some deep history. Not it's not all about coronavirus, and um, yeah, I, I, anybody who has read that book will come away thinking about the whole story very differently, especially chapter twelve. Talking about spinners, uh, you have certainly not been immune from them. No, <laughs> have you? Have you? Is there anything that you said over the past two years that you regret and uh, could have actually? Uh, been more diplomatic about? Yes, I, I mean, I've occasionally I've uh, um, been a bit uh, over the top in you know in the odd line here or there on Twitter and so on. But it's very emotional times when you're dealing constantly with the frustration of censorship and these these crazy policies that you can see in the data are simply not working and are causing a great amount of harm and running all the time into these brick walls where. People refuse to debate and engage, and it's very difficult to get a conversation going. You know, those are the environments in which a couple of uh, harsh words will sometimes escape one's lips, and you'd, you'd always rather take them back. But from a policy perspective and so on, there's, there's very little. We stand by you know, a good deal of what we've said. Of course, there's the areas where we've learned more as time's gone by, and we've re, re, reappraised things and tweaked things on the margins. But for the most part, our stance is the same, that Mandates and coercion have no place in public health, and this whole trajectory has been flawed from the start and is one that will, in the fullness of time, be condemned by history. I have no doubt about that. Um, but, yeah, the smear articles, you know, they're always going to be part of this kind of story. I, in the minds of many people, um, I'm uh, the owner of some nutraceutical company out there, but there isn't any such company. It just happens to be headlined 
by our opposition all the time. They keep on repeating a lie like that and many others. But I think people see through them. So I'm, I'm, I've never really lost, I've never lost any sleep over them. It's just, it is what it is. And it's part of the parcel is that you have controlled mainstream media organizations who are effectively marketing arms of pharmaceutical companies and they will do whatever they ask to do and write whatever articles are required to take down these pesky people at Panda. I guess pesky people who ask questions, uh, period. But looking ahead to 2022, uh, in just over a month's time, you're going to be at the Biz News Conference, third time around. Uh, what are you going to be telling the delegates there? And then just following on from that, what are the big issues are going to be in this whole um, COVID discussion for the rest of this year? The idea is to go back to the the original March presentation and do a little bit of a post-mortem on, you know, so what has happened since then and what have we learned since then? What, what do we not know at that time? And uh, what does it all mean? Um, and uh, there's a great deal in that. Um, so that's going to be the, the topic of the, the presentation. I'm still uh, at the, the planning the scaffolding of it at the moment. It's six weeks away, so I need to get moving. Um, as far as 2022 is concerned, I think it's going to be a very dramatic year. Um, I think there will be a lot of revelations and exposures of what really went on um, and how these uh, very crazy circumstances came to pass. Um, and as those narratives come unstuck, we can already see it. There's a, there's, there's a, a kind of face-saving and reputation-preserving scramble underway, and you see people climbing down from their various positions in a very haphazard fashion. And this will continue. It will become more and more chaotic. There will be recriminations and finger-pointing on the way down, um, people trying to do a bit of KYA, and um, it will make for a very, uh, I think, dramatic story. Because, of course, what's happening in the background is that a population that has been the object of a targeted mass formation is waking up to the reality of what's happened. And the the responses there will also be chaotic. Some people will be angry, some will be embarrassed, some will... You know, all sorts of uh, ramifications could be imagined. And so I think 2022 will be tumultuous, really tumultuous. And the, the you've got to hold open the scope for events which will be um, drummed up or hyped in order to distract the population from uh, the, the unwinding of the COVID narrative. That's also got to be in the back of your mind. We've got to be watching for things that are going to be really hyped. Um, other types of crisis, other types of uh, economic crisis in particular. So I th- I'm, not, I'm not looking at 2022 as a, as a slam dunk. It's going to be a challenging year. And as somebody who's been in the public spotlight and uh, criticised quite aggressively from the establishment, how, how do you view the whole uh, Djokovic story in Australia, which most of us have been on the outside wondering why would a, a guy who, after all, just plays tennis or is the best tennis player in the world stick his neck on the line in the way that he has uh, and really get himself even deported from the country without being able to uh, defend his title there? Yeah, so why was that story not subject to the same suppression 
as uh, much bigger news stories, you know, much more important news stories. That one was given free reign and promoted in the mainstream media and so on. Um, why is that? Well, I think, you know, the message that comes with it is, look, even the best tennis player in the world is not uh, going to get away without taking his vaccine. So the the, the kind of messaging around that is permitted. Um, I, I, I think, it, you know, on, of course, the, 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 there's, there are layers and layers of craziness in it. They're talking about a person who's recovered, a person who's healthy, a person who's no risk to anybody. And uh, mandates of vaccines that don't, as we've discussed, have a hope of ending the pandemic. Um, you know, the rules around these things are really obscure. At the moment, it's the case that in certain states in the U.S., you're not, you're not allowed to, if you're a nurse and you haven't been vaccinated, even if you're healthy, you're not allowed to come to work. Whereas a person who has been vaccinated, even if they have COVID, is allowed to come to work. So, so you have completely banana situations. And I think it's best read uh, to, to just see it as the Spartacus against the, 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 the Romans is, um, is the wrong way to, to view this. It's, it's, there's a, there are layers of messaging around this, uh, this storm in a teacup. And um, it's very diversionary. So I actually prefer not to talk too much about the Djokovic saga, and I haven't written about it, and I won't. Um, it, we need to stay focused on the important principles here, and the important principles is that coercion and mandates have no place in public health, and all the people, these, these zealots, these fundamentalists who are trying to force them everywhere are, need to be seen for what they are, you know. Um, and we need to start getting, we need to start turning the tide by focusing on the people who are promoting mandates of vaccination to students and children and recovered people and so on. Or just mandates in general. This is wrong. And and we need to take these people on this year. So the mandates have been stopped uh, in the UK. Uh, that's out of the window. In South Africa, however, there's still a lot of um, support for the idea, although resistance does appear to be growing. Why would South Africa be so far behind the curve when it was way ahead of the curve in Omicron. Yeah, well, the population has spoken. I mean, the, at the moment, if you even on a very generous interpretation of what it means to be fully vaccinated, South Africa loses more fully vaccinated people each day than it gains. Um, you know, after four or five months, the, the vaccine efficacy turns negative. And so if you're not lining up for a, a, a booster, then, then you're no longer fully vaccinated, right? And this is, of course, written into law in numerous countries in Europe. Um, but in South Africa, we don't have any such concept at the moment, thank goodness. Um, so the reality is that the population is basically just saying no. They're not, they're not going to line up for multiple injections. They, they're calling the bluff on the whole escapade. And so we're in the situation where, on an honest accounting, the number of people fully vaccinated never went uh, above 30% and is, is falling. So I think politically that game has been lost. Um, it leaves the government in a difficult situation because they've signed a very onerous contract with Pfizer. The vaccines are starting to expire. Um, who knows what commitments were made in terms of purchase volumes and so on. But, it, it, and, and I think that's going to be one of the really big stories. Those contracts are draconian, the ones that have, have been leaked and that we've read. They're the most con draconian contracts any of us have ever seen. And they were signed amid th that environment where the vaccines were being held out as uh, terminating infection tra transmission chains, which was, as, as I said at the beginning, that was n n never a scientifically reasonable perspective to have. 
But were governments advisors telling them that this would be the case, that everybody needed to be vaccinated in order to exterminate COVID? Were the advisors telling them that the vaccines were, uh, that, that natural immunity was ineffective so that you had to even vaccinate the two-thirds already at that stage who had recovered from COVID? I mean, that always seemed like a completely pointless exercise. And the stuff costs billions. You know, what, what, what was the real, who was saying what? Who was whispering what in government's ear? These are the stories that have to come out. They, they all cover up enormous scandals. These, these things will emerge as massive scandals when we find out how it came to be that the South African government had assumed that everybody in the country needed to be vaccinated. Who was telling them this? Because it was wrong. It was not based on good science. And the people doing the telling were probably trained enough and skilled enough individuals to know it as well. Well, the extraordinary, uh, one of the extraordinary stories that we published on Biz News from our partners at the Financial Times at London, uh, the, the big read, as they call it, uh, was an interview with the chief executive of Pfizer. And the headline was, this was a once in an epoch opportunity for profitability. So it's it's not even it's not even being hidden now by no, uh, that pharma company was, in particular. At the, at the beginning of it all, it was, it was claimed that the pharma companies never make any money out of vaccines. But you know, so you know, you got to just pinch yourself how the story migrates and how when you open your your daily newspaper, none of this is mentioned or spoken about. It's as if it never happened. Um, there's no sense of anger or frustration out of any of it. They just keep on churning out. They move on to the next story and turn that one out, even though that one's false as well. So it's it's just absurd. We are. He's right. It was a um, once in an epoch opportunity, but one that they had a lot to do with creating themselves at the great cost to the rest of the world.